Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another Continuing Conversations. I'm Michael Dismuke, freelance writer for uh, the game that I like so much here, Star Trek Adventures, in addition to being the lead writer on Captain's Log uh, and a blogger on Continuing converse, continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG Captain's Log and now the Federation Klingon War Campaign Tactical Guide. Some exciting things going on. Let's make the rounds because we have quite the crew tonight and quite the amazing conversation. It's going to be so fun, I think. Uh, but first, let's introduce Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG and the Captain's Log Solo RPG, both published by Modifius Entertainment. Low these eight years now. And uh, super excited to be on the show. I'm co-host with Michael on this show. Every week we bring you something new and relevant for Star Trek Adventures, role-playing, game mastering, whatever. Uh, really fun to be doing this uh, well on two years now. And uh, we have a great group of uh, guests tonight. They're going to be talking about a really cool topic. And so I'll just have, uh, I'll just go around here and uh, have everybody introduce themselves and then we'll get on with it. So um, I'll start off with uh, Josh. Josh Allen, please introduce yourself and tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Thanks a lot, Jim. Uh, I'm Josh. I am a longtime fan of Star Trek Adventures. I got, with your blessing, uh, got the chance to contribute to Captain's Log, which was really fun. And I love playing Star Trek, Star Trek Adventures with my kids. Uh, they love it, and it's it's served us really well. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Always appreciate it. And uh, returning again is uh, Connor Self. Please introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your your involvement in STA and all the other great work that you do. Uh, thanks, Jim. Uh, my name is Connor, he, him. Uh, I am a child and family therapist uh, in the public schools. I also provide um, a, a good deal of support uh, to the gaming community and to our local communities through D8 Summit Charities. I'm the president of that 501c3. We raised some, some money for uh, great causes, including kids' charities, mental health charities, food, uh, 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 food provision, like uh, uh, food banks, um, homeless shelters. Um, I am a professional DM and author with well over 40 titles under my belt, including a few uh, for some pretty big companies that you might have heard of, and including something about like coasts and things like that. Like apparently people know, I don't know who they are really. Um, <laughs> the uh, But th there's a lot of, um, I'm really fortunate to be here with, uh, with this crew again. Uh, they make me proud to serve. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. And thanks for being here. Really appreciate you taking the time to to join us all. And then uh, we have the uh, the lead writer of the brand newly just released uh, on pre-order Federation Klingon War Technical Campaign, Al Spader. Introduce yourself, sir. How's it going? Uh, Al Spader. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. Uh, I, yes, I am lead writer on the uh, Federation Klingon Tactical uh, Campaign. Pretty excited about that. Um, I'm also a game and system designer. I wrote uh, the Sentience 2D20 role-playing game uh, for the um, Modifius World Builders program as well. Yep, and Al's giving me some little little teeny tiny previews of some other stuff that he's got working on, not related to Sentience, not related to Star Trek Adventures, and I can't wait to see those come out as well. So it's a, you're, you're inspiring me, Al, because uh, like I love Star Trek Adventures to death, and I've been working on it 
now and i've still got that creative itch that i want to do something else i want i want or not something else but something more so uh, between you and connor i think you're both going to inspire me to get off my butt and uh, and get and get published self-publishing some uh, some new stuff here so we'll see what happens um, but uh, we brought you all together tonight to talk about a very special topic that we've kind of talked around a little bit here and there on some of our shows over the years. And uh, I know it's been on my mind a lot. And Al, I know you and I've talked about it. And of course, Josh, you, you've had a lot of input and Connor, you've talked about it too. So uh, we're going to talk all about uh, how to, how to take Star Trek adventures and, and adapt it and and use it with your kids or your or your friends kids or or kids in general and how to how to expose kids to the wonderful world of tabletop rpgs and in, in particular star trek adventures and uh in the pre-show talk i think we were gonna we decided we were gonna start with connor's concept and then we're gonna go to josh and then we're gonna go to al and we'll michael and i will pepper, pepper in questions as we go so um michael unless, unless you have anything else to add i think we should just uh jump over to connor here and uh, and get started yeah, jump right in. I'm excited. I mean, I'm hoping that we're by the, the time we finish this, we're going to inspire people to breed an entire new generation of players to RPG. Yeah, well, it would be awesome. Um, I, I am seeing, I'm I'm in the front lines out there seeing an entire new generation, which um, from the looks of it is about our third generation at this point entering RPGs, given given the storied history um, of, of our hobby. Uh, I am seeing kids in the 10 to 12 year range going to conventions with their grandparents. Uh, so it's, it's such an awesome thing to see. Um, I would also like to see an entire new generation enter this wonderful world that we all share, that we all enjoy Star Trek um uh an aspirational uh world uh one that we can all look up to one that uh the messaging is strong that we can all have a part in creating not starting with 300 years in the future but starting now um so uh when everybody we we'd sort of like as a group we talked about the sorts of things that we'd like to talk about and and uh I definitely want to hear because I'm going to be jotting down the ideas that people have um, as as they're going around the table. But uh, I always start uh, whenever I'm going to work with kids running RPGs, I try to start from the most foundational level, like what message do I want to send? And it's so key in um, in children's entertainment. Um, the, it always starts from the messaging. The good news is Star Trek comes with its own messaging. It's amazing. It comes with a, everybody can work together. We can all cooperate. Infinite diversity, infinite combinations. Um, the sense of adventure, the importance of science and engineering. Um, just the genuine curiosity uh, of the world. And um, and it's it's, and and the central idea that violence is there, but it's always the last resort, right? Um, and and these sorts of things can form the foundation of a great story for kids that not only allows them to enjoy wonder and imagination and exploration, but also allows them to build the sorts of social and emotional skills that they're going to need to navigate an increasingly complicated world. 
Yeah, you had even brought up something right before we started taping the show, Connor, about why you might not choose, say, a game, a popular RPG game like Dungeons and Dragons as the first choice for kids. Can you repeat what you said about that? Okay, so let it be said, anybody out there that's watching that knows me knows the love I have for that game, right? It was a foundational game for me. Um, It was not my entry into RPGs, though. My entry into RPGs was Marvel. Good old phase rip. Um, and the the core idea of the game, the very foundational idea of the game was very different. Um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons started as a war simulation that they overlaid some character options onto and, and that sort of character arc thing. Uh, it was always predicated on the idea that you get more powerful by beating up people and taking their stuff. Um, and that is a very fun game, but it's not the sort of messaging that I necessarily want to pass on to kids. Um, it, when uh, in the work that I do with kids teaching them games, um, I often try to start with games where uh, where nonviolent solutions are rewarded greatly, um, and not only uh, rewarded greatly, they're pushed forward as the primary options. The the um, the rule set, the setting information puts nonviolent, uh, nonviolent resolution first. Um, so that that's that's normally where I start. I would echo that, Connor. I, I feel like uh, I can't say how many times a kid has come to my table playing D&D, which I love and said, okay, I'm a neutral evil rogue who burned down his village and is on the run, and that's how I start this adventure. And um, it's just like, okay, I always wanna say yes to kids' contributions and their imagination, but that's a game where just really anything goes. And in Star Trek Adventures, you have a, you have a captain, you have a chain of command, you have a directive, uh, the directives that the GM can place and they actually reward the players for engaging with them. And every player has values and they're just sort of naturally pulled towards a really positive engagement. And the other thing is, you know, the content is all the content from Modiphius. It's not just the shows. There's a theme there in every adventure. And they're just brought right into that really positive, productive space. Yeah, and I uh, the foundational concepts that you were speaking to, Connor, I do want to say, um, especially in the Star Trek universe, if you watch Prodigy from start to finish, you get to see that like the first eight episodes, each one is based around a, founda- a foundational concept of what Star Trek is really is um so if if you want to get kids involved those foundational ideas um you have a basis for them and something that you can reference as far as what that would look like with it with even just a crew of kids um so i really like that that idea that you were speaking to as far as why we would choose star trek adventures as a kids role-playing game and one of the things I really appreciated that you mentioned, Connor, is uh, is is reflecting on the fact that Nathan Dowdell, who designed the system right back in 2016 or whatever, he was he was very intentional in the uh, in the chapter about uh, presenting conflict. Right. He, he was very intentional about putting social conflict first in the in the chapter. You learn about social conflict first and then you learn about personal combat and then you learn about starship combat. And that really, I think, reflects the the core values of of star trek is that it's it's people 
working out problems and differences before they go into the pew pew and the shooting and the fisticuffs. I love hearing all. Oh, go ahead, Josh. Uh, I just uh, was going to echo what Jim said. And I have to say that something I really love about the system is that it makes social conflict as fun as starship combat or personal combat. You get to roll as many dice. You get to do as much damage. I actually like extended tasks for kids because it takes that combat feel and brings it into medicine, diplomacy, problem solving, um, whatever you want it to. I, I want to talk about that because I want everyone to kind of know how I met Josh and what kind of pulled me to one, get him into my game playing on Discord, but also got him into doing Captain's Log. Um, Josh was posting on social media the way he was teaching his kids to play. And me being a visual kinesthetic learner, I latched onto it like, whoa, I need this. Josh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think this is important when we're talking about inviting children to play RPG, some of the adaptation we might need to do for that. Yeah, um, I, I basically drew, I hand drew some kind of uh, infographics, I guess you could call them, to try to help my kids understand the mechanics. I had a situation where my son was really into Star Trek. He was watching it on his own. He wanted to play RPGs. I wanted to play RPGs with my sons. And uh, I thought this game just looked amazing, but it was a little bit conceptual. So I tried to make some infographics about how to use momentum, how to buy dice, uh, how to do damage, uh, how to do, you know, conceptual damage to the, you know, uh, positive and productive pieces of work that the characters have. And it ended up being really fun. I would print them out. I would put them down at the table when a certain mechanic came up. I would just dig it out and the kids really got into it. Yeah, I mean, I'll even go as far to say that I saw pictures where you had a whiteboard up, I think it was, at your table. You were, you were I was like, oh, I've got to be part of this. I, I, am I right? You had some sort of whiteboard up? I did. And for a while, I was actually renting out a room at the public library uh, over in Arinda. And I would, I would run the game in there and I would actually write the traits on the whiteboard. You know, whenever they created an advantage, I would put it up on there or ask them to. And they really dug that. What a gift. And again, that's one of the reasons why in Captain's Log, I called you and Jim called you to get those flowcharts started so that we can become more visual. You know, but again, I, I, between what you all said about the teaching of values and why you might select Star Trek Adventures as a game or an, um, a less dungeon, a less D&D kind of game, I think that's really important um, for introducing you know, uh, children, young ones, teenagers to the game. Other insights that you learned um, in getting them prepped for the game, we're talking about session zero. This is not session zero with adults. Maybe we can all talk about that session zero with uh, children and teens. Uh, so as a middle school teacher myself, uh, I've run a couple of D&D &D, um, sessions for uh, middle, middle school level kids. Um, and that Session zero is really important um, because uh, at this age, um, middle school kids have a very tough time looking beyond what like what's right in front of them and focusing on themselves just developmentally. That's what's going on in their heads. Um, so the session zero is ex especially important if you are doing an ongoing game uh, with a middle school 
uh, group of kids, um, just because uh, getting them to understand that each other person is a character that they're going to be working together with as a team um, is really, really important. So, um, you know, and it, as they, as, if you work younger, like if you work at an elementary school level, or my kids are are, are in kindergarten, um, and I'm starting to teach them, uh, session zeros aren't going to be quite as powerful because they don't hold on to that quite as long. Um, but certainly once you get to that middle, uh, you know, young middle, fifth grade up through eighth grade and, and even through high school, um, session zeros become even more important. Um, I, uh, I have uh, worked with so many young folk uh, uh, all the way down into the the elementary level, and I would mirror exactly what Al is saying as far as some of the sessions, they're not going to remember those core details very well. Um, but uh, but sort of a, a parallel to the saying, they won't remember, they won't ever actually remember what you said to them, but they will remember how you made them feel. They might not remember everything that was said at a session zero, but they will understand the feeling behind it. And um, so I, I, in session zeros with kids, I often try to focus on the, okay, what are we here for? We're here to be heroes. What sorts of things are we going to do? We're going to use science and math and art, and we're going to solve problems. Are we going to shoot people or are we going to talk first? We're always going to talk first, you know, and we go through those feelings, you know, and say, because that's what heroes do, right? Get them, get them pumped up into the role of being the hero, being the protagonist in the story. Um, and then from there, it's, it's not super hard to say, here's what we'll do if we feel like we need to rein it back in. OK, like if um, if, you know, I, I think we're maybe losing target, I might I, I'll say we'll take breaks, always take breaks with kids, um, do it with adults, too, but do it with kids more. Um, have a hand signal. If I put up a hand signal, that means that we stop talking and we and we talk a little bit about what's going on and then we can keep playing um, that that sort of thing. Uh, if you set that up in a session zero and keep it to like 10 or 15 minutes for even the youngest kids, you're gonna do pretty good. Older kids are gonna want longer though, because you're gonna to need to navigate some more complicated scenarios with uh, with your middle school and high school age uh, kiddos. One tool that I've noticed, Connor, uh, when I run uh, for, for this age group is, especially during the session zero, when we start talking about characters and, and who they're each gonna be, I try to encourage um, the kids to have a backstory connection with at least one other character in the group. So this um, unites them in a way um, so that they understand that there is there are other people that are part of this story and it's not just about themselves. We talk about the, the fun per hour of the table versus the fun per hour of the self um, and how everyone's enjoyment is really, really important. So if you're running off and trying to do something by yourself that nobody else wants to do, maybe that's something that we need to talk about and rein in and whatnot. Um, so very, very important to set that foundation early. Yeah, the, the, the fate system of character creation, where the core idea, the core principle of your character self isn't your stats, it's your relationship with the others at the table. Um, I, I love that, Al. It's interesting, Connor, you just said the core principle of your character, yourself. Something that I love about Session Zero with Star Trek Adventures and Kids is that it actually goes back to what you said at the beginning, Connor, that it, Star Trek as a universe is, is not just 300 years in the future, it's now. You know, with the Earth 
as part of the setting, you can literally play yourself in Star Trek Adventures. You can imagine yourself living as a 22nd, 23rd, 24th century human who enters Starfleet. It's if you're a kid and you say, well, I want to be a doctor when I grow up or I want to be, you know, uh, an engineer when I grow up, you get to actually play through that in this game, which is which is pretty something. This is all great insight. So I'm curious. I, I have a question. I, and I, I'm a little worried that it might be too tactical for where we are right now in the conversation, but I'll throw it out there and you guys can decide to table it and talk about it later. But I'm curious, given that all, all three of you have had experience running the game specifically for kids, I'm curious, like from a practical standpoint, are you coming in with pre-generated characters? Are you using the creation and play method? Or are you having them walk through the life path? Because I think about my eight-year-old and he's really good at focusing on things that interest him. But to to expect him to sit around a table for upwards of an hour going through the life path, he's not going to care about that. He wants to go be creative and get and get cracking on with the with the story. Right. So I'm just curious, like, how, what, what, what are you uh, what, how are you setting up that session zero and getting the kids, you know, into the game? Um, I, I think that, like you said, it, it does vary by age. Right. If we're if we're younger into the elementary school uh, level, I think that pre-gens are really, really important, especially if it's pre-gens that the kids already know. Um, so like I'm teaching my five-year-olds how to play Marvel Multiverse right now. And one of the things about that game is they have Spider-Man, Venom, Ghost Rider, you know, uh, and so the kids um, can tell their stories about those characters and they already know how those characters act because they see them on television, they see them, you know, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, I would say that as you get older, you can introduce more concepts about creating your own character or adding your own flair um, to characters. Um, and uh, I think that like once you get up to the high school level, I think it's it's very reasonable for kids to uh, to go through a life path process, especially if you're using the BC Holmes character generator as as, you know, something that is like, um, you know, a tool for them to build their characters. Cause then you're not really sitting there for an hour. It's only about a 20 minute process. Um, and that makes it much, much easier, especially for kids um, that are a little bit more advanced. I'm going to throw in there, make sure you know your kids though, um, for sure. And, and the reason why I say that is because even with grownups, cause I teach grownups how to play games too. Uh, it, Typically, I will encourage all grownups when they're learning the game even to start with a pre-gen. Why? Because there's crunchy rules bits that sometimes you bump into, that fourth wall that you bump into when you're creating a character, and you're not going to understand what that stuff means that that first time. You're going to be like, what does this mean? I, you know, I can create an advantage by spending, you know, uh, no, okay, how about we just start with this pre-generated character one session only? just to learn the basics of the gameplay. And then after that, let's go and then let's sit and, and do the 20 minute character build. Now they kind of have an idea what the things do, and then you're gonna have a more rewarding experience in the character creation. Uh, and you're gonna feel like you're gonna be better able to shape your character to where you're going. Um, the it, the some um, Some kids might really feel stifled the moment they bump into a rules bit and they don't know what it means. It can be a shutdown experience um, for, for some kids. And um, I, so I, I will often, even with grownups, like I said, I'll often start with the pre-gen that first time for your little kids. Like I'll say, and I might stick with pre-gens 
um, with people that they know, uh, because that might be easier. One thing I do, Jim, so full transparency, I just leave talents off the table the first time. I just don't bother with those. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the fun part is there's a bunch of things in Star Trek Adventures that might be chosen from a list in another game, but that are just freeform text in Star Trek Adventures, and they actually have mechanical benefits. So the focuses and the values, we have so much fun coming up with those. And it's really like, especially if they have played D&D, because I know a lot of the kids that play at my table have gotten interested in D&D and then they come try this game and here they get to just make stuff up. It's really cool. Although I do sort of fall back on the creation and play. They they usually get through a few focuses, a few values, and then they're kind of stuck and they're like, well, I don't know what other values to write down. Um, so I say no problem. It's actually in the rules that you can wait. And, you know, just in time, you can say, oh, yeah, I did have a focus in microbiology or whatever it is. And they can just throw it in at the last minute. That's awesome. Awesome insights. And I think with the values too, I think if you're a game master and, you know, maybe y'all can, can comment on this too. Um, I think somewhere in my career as a game master, I learned that it was really important to be a very, very active listener and to listen to what your players are saying, even if they may not realize what they're saying. And I think, especially for Star Trek, Star Trek adventures, uh, a, a player, whether they're a kid or an adult, they might actually say something in their dialogue that is actually a value, right? I mean, we hear it all the time on the shows. Some some character will say something, something, and be like, "Oh, that's a core value. That's a value that it, that they hold near and dear." And that might be an opportunity to just say, "Oh, you know what? If you don't know all your values, that's cool. Just you know, leave it blank, and we'll get to it." And then as they're going through and role playing and and you know, telling the story, they might say something, and you could pause there and say, "Hey, by the way, you just said this. That would make a great value if you want to add it." Uh, so yeah, great insights. So I, I did have a follow on question and then I'll turn it over to Michael or whoever else wants to continue talking. Um, and I guess I guess this is related to session zero. You're talking about using pre gens in some cases, maybe using creation and play um, like even before that, like heading into the decision to sit down with this group of kids. What kind of homework are you doing? Are you encouraging them to watch the show? Are you showing them some pictures of some different alien you know, species or are you just like, you know, kind of like going in cold and saying, Hey, we're going to try out this Star Trek game, you know, gather, gather around the table or, or, you know, come over to my house or like, however you do it, come to the library as, as Josh was saying, but like, do you take an opportunity to kind of like sit them down and, and maybe cherry pick a couple episodes and, uh, and, and kind of get, give them the feel of it before you get them to the table? I mean, I can go ahead and speak about my three nephews that I had play with me in their early teens. Um, and they knew nothing about Star Trek except Uncle Michael loves it. Um, and that he writes for our Star Trek RPG. That's all they knew. So that was the incentive where like, well, we, we're willing to try this out. And they were spread all over California too. So I wasn't going to be getting them around a table. We'd be playing over Zoom or Discord. Um, so I, I know I purposely constructed a game and let them in session zero get as silly as they want to be because they are kind of humorous and sarcastic wonder where they get that from um and so one of them wants a duck on the ship on the space station they decided on a space station 
game and they want a duck with them and they named it goose and they thought this was hilarious i'm like okay there's a mysterious anomalous duck on it and we rolled with it so so as an adult i have to give up a lot of my seriousness with star trek even though i do love lower decks you know um i had to give up a lot of my seriousness just to get them interested and i kept bringing the duck back in the scene so that if it was getting a little mundane so they could laugh um and, so, and they wanted to blow up a romulan warbird so i let them blow up a romulan warbird you know and they did weird stuff with work technology that would have killed any other star trek person but i let all that go because i wanted them to experience the mechanics and stuff like that and then they started getting a little serious as they started seeing the repercussions of their actions in the next episode you know so uh, again i think with kids we serious diehard star trekkers or trekkies have to kind of back up and let them get into the game and fall in love with it what does everyone else think I, I I love uh, what you mentioned there, Michael, uh, because it's something I've been experiencing uh, working with my uh, my twins. Um, again, they're five years old, right? Uh, and it's really all about telling the story, telling what they're doing, telling their actions, and then seeing if there might be some type of rule that helps support what that action is that they wish to do, right? Um, you know, there are on the character sheet. Uh, for Star Trek Adventures, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Some have values attached to them. Some of them are just words. Um, but if you uh, coach the kids to uh, tell a story and then let you, the GM, figure out if there's a rule that coincides with the story they're trying to tell to put it into play. Um, so I, I, I like that a lot. Um, and I think it's super duper important because kids can be very descriptive about what a character does. Uh, and that's the most important thing. Jim, you were asking about homework, and um, I I try not to assign homework to the kids. I really want to like have it just be totally fun for them. Uh, I had a situation where when we started playing STA, my older son was already watching Deep Space Nine. You know, he wanted to encounter the Gem Hadar. That was like this his goal. And then my younger son had no interest. He was really into D and D, but he had no interest in Star Trek. Had never watched the show. Would not watch the show. And I was like, you know, to my younger son, I really think you might like this game. And he said, I'll do it if I can play a dragon. So I <laughs> I used the rules. I think there's rules in the core rulebook. And I think we made sure to include some variant of this in Captain's Log to make your own species. And so we sat down and we homebrewed this essentially dragonborn Starfleet officer. And he sort of came in from another civilization and he didn't know exactly how Starfleet works. So we kind of created a way in for him into this kind of, you know, inside baseball type world. Yeah, that that creativity is huge. Uh, uh, and and hearing, you know, like come up with those ideas. Let's find a way to feed these ideas um, and 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 allow your ideas to blossom that that Josh, that Josh is talking about. Uh, that's that's a that's a thing of beauty, especially with kids, because until you're locked into all these ideas of how the world is and how the world works, it's very easy to be spontaneous and incredibly creative. Um, it's something a lot of us lose as we get older, uh, and, but kids have it in spades. And as um, as a person who runs games for kids, I encourage it because it's fun for me. <laughs> it's fun for me to watch them uh, to watch them do that. And you can do it. Um, I-, I was talking about uh, don't worry about the rules bits. 
you just tell me what you're going to do. And if I decide there's a role necessary, I'll ask you to roll something is, is something that I, I try to engender even with the adult players I'm teaching games to. Like, I, I don't want you to say, I want to roll this. Just say, my I do this or my character does this or go right into the first person. I do this. And then I'll be like, oh, OK, yeah, that's just going to work. Or, you know, oh, it's just going to work. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need to roll. It's just I know you can do it. Do it. Um, or I'll say, oh, you know, this is dangerous. And I'll set the stage for tension and say, give me a dice roll. And, you know, and and get the, get them going that way. Kids eat that up. Um, it, it can be a little more challenging for adults sometimes. But kids will eat that up. Because if if you go that way, um, they're going to be like, oh, I get to roll dice this time. I came up with something risky. There's you know? nothing more, and I'd say there's nothing more exciting. I crack up laughing when I see like my nieces and nephews holding the dice with fear, like for the roll. That's one of the best feelings in the universe. Yeah, I, I do want to um to also just point out there that um especially with kids, sometimes it's hard for them to detach um that their character is a different entity than themselves. Um, so just be aware and be mindful. Again, know who your kids are. Um, and that's why a lot of um, a lot of different companies are starting to do RPG therapy type stuff because uh, some kids are really able to separate their character from themselves. And some, like when you look at um, the social emotional learning aspect of kids, especially at the middle school level, um, and you're talking about self-awareness, there are some kids that have very low self-awareness, but might have very high self-awareness about a character that they're playing in a game. Um, and so the, they're starting to do um, therapy sessions in character uh, for some of these kids to practice those skills that they can then apply uh, to themselves in their own life. So um, that's probably a whole nother podcast after this. Um, but uh, I think that that uh, aspect is very uh, interesting to look into as well. Yeah, yeah. Play therapy is incredible. Um, as a as a trained play therapist myself, I love it. Uh, I love working with kids and using games to teach those important concepts. And you can do it in RPGs, and I can talk at length about it. But you know what? I can teach a kid the basics of social interaction by playing sorry with them, and they will never even know it's therapy. Um, and it and they're gonna be like, it's fun. I get to go into his office. There's other kids there. We play a game. Sometimes I win, but sometimes I lose. But it doesn't matter because it's all about how we play the game. And you will hear a kid say that, and they'll be like, what? And uh, yeah, yeah, it's really not about whether you win or lose. It's about sharing the time with other people and laughing and enjoy. And teachers are like, what did you do to this kid? Like, he doesn't he doesn't feel the need to win. I'm like, well, no, we just set it up that way. So we just know that we're there to have fun. And who cares who wins? Um, the you can you can teach a lot of really important skills. And then you learn to generalize that into real life. Um, as, as far as like when we talk about what, what makes people unique. You know, we talk about, you know, the species of Star Trek, but when we look at our planet, the species on our planet, there are very few animals that learn through play. But human beings not only learn through play from an early age, we continue to play through the lifespan to continue to learn. And that and that sets us up as very unique. And and um, it's something that can be utilized. We're, we're learning more about it therapeutically. Um, we're seeing some great uh, some great treatment effects. From play-centered therapies, and I could, I, I'll, I'll just stop because I can talk about that forever. <laughs>
No, no, no. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I, I think I, I've long time believed for a long time. I believed that uh, adults just forget how to play. It, and it's you know part of it's time, right? Because you get you get more responsibilities as you get older. But like playtime kind of goes away sometimes, and uh, and and then they get you know tired and angry, and they have the job and everything else. And it's like no, no, no. You, you need to have some time to just goof off and have fun and get together with friends and you know throw some Legos around or do just do something goofy. So great, great insights. One thing uh, that I wanted to uh, start uh, discussing is um, the fact that. Star Trek Adventures has this um, this really awesome uh, concept called succeeding at a cost, right? And sometimes for kids, the sense of failing a role is really um, potent and powerful and sometimes devastating. Um, so because Star Trek Adventures has this fail forward type um, mechanic, I think it's it's another benefit to the system um, to do this with kids or to use this system with kids, because if they fail a test or task, uh, you can have them pass it and just, you know, take some threat or have some type of complication occur. Um, And again, that is uh, that helps with kids who have some um, emotional attachment to their characters. Um, but it also, um, you know, keeps that narrative flowing and shows the kids that, you know, yes, you can do this and yes, you can make it through, but there might be some problems along the way. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that to uh, Al, because I, I'm, I'm making connections as I get older with how RPG affected me later uh, and my uh, adverseness to risk or my willingness to take risk. I mean, it's all probability mathematics. And soon you start learning through RPG that sometimes I'm going to fail. It does not destroy me. It teaches me for next time. It shows me what my strengths are, shows me what my weaknesses are, or when I need to call a team member to help. And I, I later on, there's a book I've recommended on the show before called Again the gods. It's about probability mathematics, the how the insurance aid in industry came up from that. Um, and I apply it to my business. I've done well in business. And a lot is because you start to learn to mitigate risk, you know, no risk, low risk, medium risk, high risk in making your decisions. And I really teach like with my nephews and nieces is that when they fail, it's not like, oh, God, you failed. It's oh, what did you learn from that? And that is like one of the biggest things we could learn in life is what did you learn from that and how are you moving forward? And so I just always got to give kudos that you mentioned that about, you know, failing forward, succeeding at cost, because there's ways to make this into teachable moments. Not to mention that the game comes with ways that you can almost guarantee success. I mean, so many times in Star Trek Adventures, if you just make the right spends, you know, you can make something happen. You can make it so that's one of the moves. You can spend determination. You can spend a lot of momentum. You can, you know, generate a lot of threat. You can roll five dice or more, you know, in one one die roll to make something happen. And I think it's it's pretty cool that if you're a kid, you just came up with this awesome idea. You know, you roll the dice to see if your idea goes anywhere. I mean, it can just really feel like a letdown. And it's the kind of thing that leads, I think, GMs for kids to want to fudge, you know, in in other game systems. I've never had to fudge in Star Trek adventures, not with kids or, you know, or adults. Um, And there's always a way forward. There's always a way to accomplish the thing that they want to do. And then it's it's interesting how they find that way to make it happen. 
Yeah, and the one p- bit that uh, you didn't mention there, but somebody mentioned earlier was um, the assist mechanic, right? Um, Nathan Dowdell, uh, when interviewed about the 2D20 system, um, said very early on, like in Conan and, and, and Infinity and all these games, people weren't using the assist mechanic like at all. And then Star Trek Adventures drops down uh, where it's all teamwork all the time. And it really took that assist mechanic to the next level um, to, to uh, you know, actually almost define the system, right? Um, so also a very, really uh, important uh, thing to teach kids that like you might not be best friends, but you have to work together and trust each other's skills. Um, and so the assist mechanic can help show uh, what that does in a story. Excellent. I don't want to pass up, you know, with this podcast mentioning one thing because I just, it's something I, with my nieces and nephews, I'm very careful with, you know, uh, it's about gaming online, social with people they don't know. I just want to be very clear with with uh, my personal feelings on the matter, and we can go around the table and talk about this, is when we're talking about playing games uh, with, with children or teenagers, we're not talking about just them walking into any random game shop or going online to Discord to find a group, right? Let's talk about that when it comes to session zero and safety two. I wouldn't want to pass that up. Um. I can talk about the ground rules that we have uh, for uh, for D8 Summit charities events or for uh, where kids are invited to come into play or in my online games. Um, a child under the age of 13, I always request that a parent either be sitting there with them or that a parent be in the very near vicinity. Um, and, the, and the reason being is it is a safety thing. Um, you know, if, if the kid is sitting down and playing with people that they don't know, they might not be aware of all the social rules of, of the people that are around, the ways that you would interact with strangers who could be of very different ages um, that aren't family. And so it's 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 key to have that around just as a safety thing. We we also uh, teenagers, uh, we allow uh, teenagers to be at events. Uh, but, uh, but we do, uh, keep a close eye on them. We take a community mentality to any teenagers that are at the events to sort of, we look out, you know, their parents might not be right there, but we look out for them as adults. Um, all volunteers for any D8 summit event, we automatically check them on the sex, uh, the sex, uh, offender registry. Um, and everybody consents to that, uh, before they even participate as a volunteer. Um, and and that's just to create an atmosphere of safety. My dogs are barking in college house. Um, but but at the same time, it's not a hundred percent. And and so you know, parents knowing where their kids are at and what they're doing and who they're doing it with, like there's there's no replacement uh, for good old fashioned parental vigilance. Yeah, um, I organize at a local game shop. Uh, three to four tables every week. Um, and same idea, uh, you know, four, 14 and over um, are welcome uh, to play. Um, but below that, we do ask that parents are there. Um, and, you know, it's been uh, fairly successful um, over the over the years. In fact, we just had our first um, regular game master who started uh when she was 14 with her dad sitting at the same table and now uh in fact this weekend is her first time dming a table and her dad's not going to be at it so we're we're very proud of her um so yeah i think that you 
you can um you know build a rapport and and as someone is part of the community the community kind of like takes them in and guards them as well um and so uh you set those uh the baseline um and 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 like you said connor the safety is the utmost importance uh and cool things can happen something i have to say that's impressed me uh, tremendously is just the number of really thoughtful programs that are out there you know if you have any concern as a parent if you're if your child is interested in this hobby and you have any concern about that um there are straight up organizations with licensed therapists that run these games um you know much like you connor i mean it's exploding it seems these days to me uh, the number of programs that are based around um role-playing games and and even ones that facilitate the kids learning to be a game master which is a really difficult skill i mean it's really a lot to ask even of a teen to facilitate a group so it's really cool if you can find your way to one of these programs where your child could get that experience all under you know the the facilitation and guidance of someone who is really well trained to resolve conflict and make sure that everybody's feeling safe I like that. I, I mean, I, now that I think back, it's so weird. I don't know how old you all were. Maybe we can go around quick. I was 15 years old the first time I ever started GMing. I don't know where it came from, but what, what, what was the age that most of you started GMing at? I think I was 13. Wow. Whoa. What, what game was that? Oh, D&D. Okay. Mine was Marvel. Mine was I Phaser was... Rip, for sure. Nice. I think... Uh... Actually, I mean, playing, it was probably 13, but game mastering, I think I ran my first session, my, my very, the very first thing I ran was Star Frontiers, and I think I was 14, maybe 15. Uh, so I did Star Frontiers, and then I immediately went into Marvel. Uh, Marvel Phase Rip, you know, it's, it was so easy to get into, man. Uh, but for some reason, D&D, like, I love playing it. Uh, but I don't think I had the bug to run it. I think I, maybe because my best friend was, uh, the game master and he, I think he kind of like felt like, like he had the lock on being the game master and that was his little domain. And I was just happy to be a player, but I, I, I ran Star Frontiers in Marvel. Yeah. And I actually have to correct myself. I actually did, uh, uh, Heroes Unlimited for one year mm. at age 14 and then started Phaser Rip at 15 Marvel TSR. Go ahead, Al. Sorry. Yeah, I, I remember uh, my first game that I played was in fourth grade. I do remember the Heroes Unlimited having that in like sixth grade, but I don't know that I ever actually played it. Uh, but I didn't actually Game Master until I think my sophomore year in college was my first time actually doing it. And it was like, I think just before third edition of Dungeon Dragons came out, I ran um, second edition. And uh, I'll, I remember it very vividly uh, in the dorm, the, the dorm room. Um, so that was a cool experience. Mm, nice. Uh, so I did have one question. That I want to go back. Just oh, wait, we didn't hear Connor, though. He oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Connor. Go ahead. <laughs> and then go ahead, Jeff. Connor, you're on mute. What was your first GM? Sorry, I thought I clicked on mute. I was laughing. Um, 13. Uh, my first game was Marvel Phaser Rip that I ever ran. I ran D&D first edition soon after, but I became a forever DM around the age of 27. That's super cool. So, Michael, somewhere on, on your uh, on your uh, checklist uh, somewhere, I think we need I think we may need to do an episode talking about the parallels between Marvel and, and Star Trek. 
um, you know, all, all the different sure. Marvel games and all the different Star Trek games. And I think the values that those two franchises have is I think, I mean, really Marvel especially has a lot of great values in it. Once you dig down into the core and, you know, just hear what the, all the creators talk about. Right. So that, that might be worth an episode at some point in the, in the future. Let's do it. Um, but I want to go back one, a little bit. Uh, there was a, you guys were raising some really interesting topics about using, uh, like all these different programs that are available now for kids, RPG is therapy, uh, parents understanding what the benefit is. And, and only because I have not had an opportunity to explore this yet. I was curious, um, what does that conversation with parents look like before they, you know, drop them off to to do this thing? Like, our, I mean, clearly, you know, this is not a babysitting kind of situation. It's not like a aftercare after school, they're going to go play and you're they're going to be kind of like supervised. You know, there's there's more intentionality behind this. So I was just curious, like, how do you what does that conversation with the parents look like? Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> no, no, I, it's uh, I talking to the parents. Oftentimes, it's harder than talking to the kids. If if that makes any sense, and um, you know the the reasons why kids want to play the games are going to be very different from the reasons why a parent wants their kid to play the game. So the first thing that I would do is I would invert it. I would invert the situation. We know that kids are there they want to play so let's do a session zero if a parent comes in and they're interested i'm going to stop talking and i'm going to say hey why do you want your kid to play these games and i'm just going to listen to to what they're what they're what they want it could be my kids express an interest and i want them to have fun or sometimes my kid has a hard time making friends and they might be able to make friends doing this or um you know uh I, it's the first time i've ever seen my kid passionate about reading a book and 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 then let them express why they want their kids to play these games. And then I'll say, well, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about the sorts of benefits that this game can provide for that. You know, and if there and if there's even the smallest hint that they're like, I was just interested in teaching my kids something that maybe I'd want to do with them. I'd be like, don't wait. Both of you hop on in. Let's go. I got another seat for you. Um, but I like to listen to parents first and let them tell me what they want their kids to get out of the game first. Um, because, because for that kid to continue playing in that game, the parent knowing that their kid is getting that is going to be important. I, I, I recall, and I'm going to embarrass myself real quick. Um, I was a very young kid and my parents put me in a bowling league. And I love this bowling. Like I was like six years old. I was like, this is great. I get to hang out with my friends. I get the bowl. I'm rolling these balls. You know, we even got a trophy. Like, cool. I ever never had a trophy before. And then at the end, I got pulled out bowling. And it was several years later. I'm like, you know, that one year we bowled and it was great. Like, why did you take us out of bowling? Like, I had so much fun. And I I will never forget what my mom said. I put you in it so that you could learn coordination and it didn't work. So I pulled you out. Oh, and but 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 see, like my perspective of what that was, why I was doing that was very different from hers. And you can't just go in assuming that the kids want to have fun and the parents have them there because they want their kids to have fun. That's not always the case. And you have to obviously deliver the kid the fun, but you also need to make sure the kid's getting what the parents want the kids to get out of it, too. 
Yeah, and I would I would argue that uh, be upfront with the parents, uh, and we're seeing this a lot more often. In fact, we finally got it into uh, Klingon more a content warning. Um, you know, make sure the parents know the content warnings of what you are uh, running, um, just so they can say, uh, you know, and and if you're doing a consent form, which you should um, have the kid fill it out, but also have the parents fill them out. Um, for their kids. Uh, again, we got a consent form into the Klingon uh, war tactical campaign. So I'm super excited about our players finally getting a chance to use that as well. But absolutely, even if the parents aren't playing in the game, what do you feel comfortable with with, with your kid doing? Give them a copy. Yeah, I just want to add one caveat to that. Um, the consent form in the Klingon tactical campaign, reading that to a kid might put them on subjects that the parents are not yet ready for them yet. So you may have to modify that form for your game. I just want to add that to it. Few things I do with parents around the content. I mean, just being a casual GM is one, I try to talk in terms of genre. So I'll say, you know, I'll say this to the kids as well, that we're going to keep this at a princess bride level. We're going to keep this like a Marvel movie. I try to relate it to something that they have seen before so that they sort of know what's you know what's expected and what's what's not appropriate um the other thing i try to do is uh, i always invite the parents to play so that they can you know and then during the pandemic there were a lot of parents on zoom with their kids as we as we ran these campaigns i think that helped them sort of see you know what kind of space we were creating there and then i always tried to do a write-up you know just like a little synopsis of what took place I think that helped, you know, everybody sort of understand the tone that I was trying to create in the safe, you know, um, not challenging um, content that we were trying to work with. And as we're starting to see more and more um, curriculum based around RPG being introduced into the world, this is a very kind of newish, uh, you know, couple of years um, thing, but like uh, with different. Um, different units focusing on different skills that kids need to work on. Um, you know, ideally you would have like a pre-assessment of what type of skills kids need to work on. Um, I don't know that that exists yet. I have not personally seen one. Uh, I have seen units talking about, um, you know, uh, different concepts when you're playing a, an individual game. Um, but ideally I'd like to see that pre-assessment post-assessment thing as you would with any, um, type of intervention or, or activity you're doing, um, with kids, if you're trying to ensure that they're learning skills along the way. Love this all. Good. So why don't we go? I mean, it's almost been an hour now we've been talking about this, which is amazing. Um, you know, some of us adults still have children's attention spans, though. So I want to take that into consideration and start getting us to our wrap up. Let's go around one more time and see if there's maybe one little piece of advice that that's straggling that each of you want to give. Um, let's go ahead and start with Jim. Um, anything that you're hearing, anything you want to encourage? I mean, I got, I, got so, I, got, I got so many more questions to ask. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll just have to save it for another. We'll have to do another episode sometime and just go continue on with the conversation and, and talk more. I think, um, yeah, I think, uh, gosh, what, what are my final words? I, I mean, I, I'm a little bit of a disadvantage because I haven't had an opportunity to, to get my son into it yet. I think he's he's he I mean, he has his moments of uh, of silent focus, but he's also eight. Right. So he's still got a, a huge amount of energy that. Um, 
um like to get him and his friends together to to focus for even 10 minutes i mean i know connor you said maybe 10 15 minutes is a is a sweet spot to do a scene or two i think even that might be might be more to more than i, I can ask for at the moment but uh i think um just to just to say you know if you're a game master and you're thinking about trying this out with kids like at this point the game is so mature at eight years there's a wealth of material on hand that you can use without really either a breaking the bank or b you having to spend a lot of time to create something right we got three mission briefs all over the place we've got captain's log we've got the core system you there's a lot of flexibility and how you want to run it like you can look like you know uh, josh was saying just take the talents out that's you know by and large what we did with captain's log we uh we uh we streamlined it quite a bit just down to you know the 2d20 one momentum one threat no talents and, and just really focusing on the on the core storytelling so i think there's a lot of flex flexibility but um i'm gonna l stop there and just you know move it over to the experts because you clearly have had far more experience in this piece of it than i have so i've just been, i'm fascinated just to be uh just to be listening to y'all um awesome uh so uh the one word that i can't say enough uh is accommodate 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 uh and if you aren't sure how to make accommodations for different um types of uh neurodivergence or physical uh, accommodations um things like that um we did write some of that into the player's guide um we have uh, a couple of pages of that in there uh, of some strategies you can use to help accommodate for different uh types of neurodivergence um there's also the fate accessibility toolkit i can't recommend that enough so i in fact i referenced that a lot when i was writing um that part of the player's guide um and and it goes to what uh connor mentioned earlier about knowing who's at your table um and, and get to know them and and see what needs they have um so that they can have a, a successful experience for themselves but also so that um everybody else at the table can have a su successful experience with uh that person that you have at the table excellent and maybe we'll get a reference on that um al i would love to put that into uh the uh text for and continuing missions in the blog um, references to that. All right, uh, let's go uh, Josh then Connor. Well, I just want to build on what you guys just said about accommodating. And I just, you know, can't say enough praise about the 2D20s systems ability to help you accommodate players and still have fun. I think I read somewhere Nathan in an interview talking about his philosophy about why social conflict is so mechanical in the game. And in part, it's to basically accommodate people who aren't necessarily ready to embody a character and act out, you know, the role playing. I And I actually had a situation where a child was trying to convince uh, a, a Senate of some argument. And I said, you know, what what do you sound like? What what words are you saying? And she said, no, I I don't want to do that. I don't do voices. I, I just want to tell you what you know, the kinds of things my character talks about. I just want to tell the story. And I was like, no problem. You know, you just have to get three successes. So let's figure out how you do that. And the game really creates a fun way for everybody to play, even if they have a totally different style of participating in that process. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing so much talk about accommodations because uh, I, I, I bring up nonstop on panels when running for kids. 
my kids are going to come with varying skill levels and it's and social can definitely be a part of it it's not all social we uh, a lot of times we we think a lot of ourselves and sometimes the social awkwardness that a lot of us gamers experience without realizing that there are people who play this game who have math disabilities they can't add or they have they have reading disabilities and a big thick rule book is going to lose them even the writing on a character sheet is going to lose them having numerous graphics like Josh will put into captain's log or letting people use dice rollers at the table um, or using um, dyslexia friendly character sheets um, can make a huge difference because in the end uh, this is play and play is meant to be fun and and if I could leave anybody with anything find the joy in the game especially with kids you know what? If they get pleasure out of like taking your little like uh, like like my players do, they they'll take my my Star Trek attack wing miniatures and pew 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 pew, and then my ship goes pew 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 pew, and I'm going to clap and laugh and point, and I'm going to find every bit of joy in that. If the, if that's where the kids are in, interacting with it and they're having fun, because I mean that's what it's all about. Um, I played King of Tokyo the other day, and my kids were showing me their finishing moves for finishing the other kaiju. This is just a board game. It's not even an RPG. But they're like, my finishing moves look like this, and they're moving their bodies around. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. King Kong got it, didn't he? Yeah. Good, good, good job. <laughs> Find the joy. And, you know, not just for them. Find it for yourself. Remember what it's like to be a kid again. It's like a big gift uh, running these games for kids. Excellent. Again, anyone who's watched the show know that one of the thing, biggest things I do at my work and running the organizational development department is gamification. It's embedded in everything we do from our, you know, candy crush level learning all the way up to actual role plays when we're running classes or our latest employee uh, appreciation event, which was put on at some place called the Plex in San Jose, California, where people could play all kinds of games all day. It was built for neurodivergent. People could do a scavenger hunt. They could sing if they wanted to. They could play bubble soccer. They could do Jenga. They could go sit in the corner, play pool. They could go do trivia. It was just, it was all playing. And it was one of our highly rated events ever. People want to play. That's the fact of the matter. And the more we incorporate into life, the more we free our brains and free ourselves. So, so it starts as with kids. We can set, we can set a good example as adults who show them that we can have fun playing. It could be wholesome. It could be hopeful. And uh, it's hopefully something that never stops. So let's go into gratitude. And we'll go around with our gratitude. Um, I know we could talk about this more um, and we probably will at another time, find another angle on it. My gratitude quickly is going to be to Nick Van Ash. He's one of my best friends. The man is 35 years older than me. And when I was 15 years old, he was best friends with my parents. He became my friend and he would sit there and play Marvel RPG with me before I even had a group. It was just me and Nick. Uh, and then finally started inviting my friends. And to this day, uh, we're, we're great friends. He has kids that are now we're teaching to play and they're in their early twenties. Uh, he lives in North Carolina now. So this is a shout out to you, Nick, for starting phaser rip with me. Um, and, and just, uh, being such an influence on my life. He even got named in one of my modules, eight layers deep. I, he was such a great villain. I put him in as a name there as a tribute to him. So, so thank you for that. Uh, let's go to Al next to do your gratitude. 
Um, so this is really uh, a, a tool to build the next generation of gamers, the next generation of Trek fans as well. Um, so my gratitude is going to be to everyone that um, fought so hard to get uh, season two of Prodigy on the air and 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 ready to go and accepted by Netflix and all this fun stuff, um, because uh, that is another entry level for our kids and um I'm excited and I hope that someday uh, we can get the license and do some work for it at some point. <laughs> oh, we hope, we hope, we hope, we hope. Okay, Connor. I'm going to throw some gratitude out um, uh, to a dear friend of mine, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Berkey out there. He is an educator. Uh, who, when I was in high school, sort of took me under his wing, uh, played some RPGs with me, and and more than the RPGs, helped me navigate some difficult times in my life in a way that that ended up. I think I turned out pretty good, and uh, and I I think I I owe a fair amount of that to uh, to Justice Mentorship. You know, you can learn an awful lot of things around the table. It's not always about the game. You can learn a lot about real life too. Isn't that true? That's a whole other subject about social learning through gaming. Josh. My gratitude goes to my wife, Anna, uh, because I actually wouldn't have gotten back into this hobby without her. Uh, I had kind of fallen away after my college years and um, she started, you know, thinking about it. She's a, a psychologist as well. And she was saying, you know, I really think this would be good for the kids if you have any interest in this. And I was like, well, actually I used to be obsessed with this and I just haven't been, you know, involved in it for over a decade. And uh, I got drawn back in out of this desire to, to do something really creative and um, expansive with them. And I just fell back in love with it so hard. And I've had, you know, some amazing memories of what my kids have created with this hobby. Um, so I'm really grateful that she put me on that path. There aren't partners who encourage us to play wonderful partners. Mine too. That's wonderful. Let me see your shirt, by the way, Josh, too. Those who can't see it, uh, I got to do a shout out. He has an awesome constitution class schematic shirt, which I, I was digging the entire episode. All right, Jim, take us out with gratitude. Uh, yeah, sure. I think, uh, gosh, there's so much great stuff that you guys have mentioned. Uh, I think I'll echo, uh, I think Connor a little bit and say, I, I, I'm grateful to the, to the role-playing group I had for many, many years. Uh, we were all a bunch of, you know, college nerds and uh, getting together and playing. But, you know, what was interesting is like we ranged in ages from like 23 to 15 because one of one of the players, his young, younger brother joined us. And it was really fascinating. Um, I think we we played so much at the table. We were using the game to have fun, but we were also learning how to be, you know, responsible. And and we we learned together is like leadership skills and time management and, and like practical life stuff. So like we were having fun playing Star Trek, but we were also, you know, developing as people. And uh, I, I didn't appreciate that at the time, but looking back, I can say, oh, wow, the foundations were all right there. And I have Star Trek to thank for that. So I think I need to thank everybody involved in the creation of Star Trek, starting with Gene Roddenberry on down. The, I mean, it's a huge list, right? It's 50 something years of Star Trek and uh, the values that have consistently been present in the franchise are really super important, even especially in this day and age. And I think um, if there are creative and interesting ways to take Star Trek adventures and teach that to a new generation, I need to thank all the counselors, all the therapists, all the teachers and educators that are out there in the world doing this hard work, this hard, necessary work uh, to get kids involved in things and teaching things that 
that aren't just, you know, go do some screen time and just, you know, be quiet, <laughs> right? You're actually trying to give them cool stuff to do and, and you're feeding off their energy and their excitement and finding what they're passionate about and reflecting that and saying, this is okay, right? It's okay to be passionate and excited about having fun. It's not just sitting down at the desk and doing your homework and, and like focusing and studying. You can actually play and, and learn something along the way too. And uh, I think if we do another one of these episodes, we've got to find a way to get Dr. Aaron on here because the, the work that she's doing with Prodigy, like doing those little five, six minute snippets of science education along with the show, just fascinating. And I think um, I, I just, I can't wait to see uh, what everybody does with all this stuff. So, and I'm grateful to all of you for being here and sharing your time with us because this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, I, and I've got to wrap it up and say, you know, I got to thank the fans, uh, the, th the fans of Star Trek over 50 odd years who've kept it alive. The letter writing campaigns that kept the, the original series alive, the letter writing campaigns that got Prodigy to season two, like, uh, uh, like I was saying, uh, the fans are the lifeblood of Star Trek. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't be here doing this game after eight years if it wasn't for you. So uh, thanks, fans. Uh, I will never stop thanking you because it's it's never enough. You, I, I just got to keep thanking you all the time for, for being here, sticking with it and uh, and having fun with us as we as we go. Yep. And thank our future fans that we're out there trying to create all day long, <laughs> introducing <laughs> kids and teens to Star Trek Adventures and RPG, good RPGs. So thank you, everyone. IDIC, the conversation shall continue. Live long and prosper, everybody. Be safe, be well. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.